Welcome to John Longwell Media. Creative multimedia including music, inspirational messages, and audio prose. Today's message is entitled, Don't Be Anxious, Be Available, recorded on July 22nd. 2018 at Revive Church in Rio Rancho, New Mexico, where John serves as a teaching pastor. I pray you will be blessed by the message as you listen. Here now is John Longwell. What an awesome worship team we have. <laughs> what great sound people we have that you have chairs to sit in when you come to church, overheads and everything. So thank God for our teams and our, our great workers and Cindy setting up in the back and our children's workers. And thank you guys for being our church. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord God, we just thank you that we have this opportunity to open your word. We ask that as we do, that your Holy Spirit would just apply the things from your word richly to our lives, that we might walk them out and be effective through your Holy Spirit's power in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm here sharing the word with you today. Uh, Pastor Sean and Jamie decided to climb a mountain in Durango. They left at uh, 1030 on Friday night. And they drove all night and slept in their car. And then they, they're hiking up. I think they're on their way back now. So they couldn't have picked a more hot weekend, I'm sure. <laughs> so that's where they are. Um, have the opportunity to share the word with you today. Um, I, I figure I'm going to do this a very template sermon. going to open up with a bad joke. And then we'll just go from there. Okay. So God is talking to one of his, one of his angels. And he says, hey, look at this that I've just created. Can't remember the rest of the joke. Don't you hate it when that happens? You're on the spot and you can't quite come up with the words to say. I was in Boston and I went to a comedy club. And at that comedy club, they also have an open mic night. And the MC stressed, he says, if you're going to come and perform for the open mic night, you need to make sure that you have prepared material. There's nothing worse than a comedian trying to wing it, as we've witnessed this morning. Thankfully, the Bible says we never need to worry about what we'll say when we are acknowledging him before others. Luke chapter 12, verses 11 and 12 says, And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Isn't that awesome? Is there anything more reassuring than when the Bible tells us not to be anxious? Amen. Well, today we're going to camp out in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 34. It's actually written there in the bulletin for you. You can follow along. I'm going to go ahead and start reading in verse 25 of Matthew 6. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Now, in Luke chapter 12, verse 26, these are the synoptic gospels, which means Matthew, Mark, and Luke have the same account of all of these events and sayings that Jesus did, but it's through the different perspective of those writers. And Luke actually adds them. He says, if then you are not able to do a small thing as that... 
Why are you anxious about the rest? And what he's talking about here is, I think if there's anything that we could ever stress over in this world, it would be about, well, when am I going to die? You know, we, if, if we had the ability to add a single second more or a week more, wouldn't we be doing that? Wouldn't we be stressing over that? And he says, even by stressing and worrying over that, if you can't add a single second more, then why are you worried about the rest of this stuff? Because if you can affect that kind of change, then you worrying isn't going to affect change in these other areas. He goes on to say, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Now I'm in my mid to late 40s, and I have witnessed 40 plus springs. And I can tell you that every year when February turns into March and March turns into April, I begin to anticipate the change of the colors. I love to take walks, and so it's, it's wonderful going around and seeing the different trees. And I, I never cease to amaze about the newness of discovery that I have every year when I, when I witness. Or like if you ever drive that road from um, Los Alamos down to Jemez, which probably is on fire right now, and there's a huge field on the right-hand side. And at a certain time, if you're there, it's all yellow. It's just got all these beautiful flowers. And so what he's saying here is that, look, here we have these inanimate, they're basically grass. And they're of such beauty that not even Solomon. Now, Solomon is in recorded history, probably the richest, most lavish king that ever lived. In fact, God basically gave him all of the riches and wealth that he needed so that he could test out every theory that he ever had. And within that, he was even able to have the most beautiful palaces and the most adorned clothing. And he's saying that even Solomon in all of his riches and glory and lavishness can't even be compared to this grass, which is here today and tomorrow it's gone. And so he just wants us to put that into perspective. He goes on to say in verse 31, therefore do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, which is those that don't know God, that don't embrace God, seek after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And I, I love it that he tacks on that thing about tomorrow. Because essentially what he's saying here is, I'm, I'm telling you, don't be anxious about your basic needs, your, how, what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear. And he's saying, don't be anxious about that. I know that you need them, and I'm going to provide for them. But one of the few areas of scripture God is now saying, and now I'm going to cover every other thing. Because a lot of times when we look through scripture, we're like, well, God didn't specifically say this. But God is saying, okay, now I'm going to address tomorrow. Because if there's another category of worry, it would probably have something to do with, well, gee, I wonder how I'm going to do this tomorrow. Or I wonder what I'm going to say to my boss tomorrow. I wonder what I'm going to do in this situation. He's saying, you know what? Everything else is now covered by this topic of tomorrow. Don't worry about it. You, by worrying today, guess what? You can affect change for tomorrow. But guess what? If you will focus on today, you might be able to make a change 
in the way that things are operating today that could actually affect your tomorrow. So basically, we're being given a command here, which is to do not be anxious. And one of the awesome things about God is he never gives us a command without also providing the resources and the ability for us to carry that out. Amen? And so that's what we're going to look at today. So Jesus makes a pretty good case for not being anxious. But what, it, what does it mean to be anxious? It simply is experiencing worry, unease, or nervousness, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. Or what I would also like to add in, things of which we have no control. So basically, life. You know, we don't have any control over our life. So what happens if I become anxious? We might say, okay, I, I, know, I now know the command, I'm not to become anxious. But what if I'm already anxious? What if you walked in with anxiety? What if during the first 10 minutes of this sermon, your mind's already been thinking about other things that have nothing to do with what I'm talking about? You might have concerns. You might have worries. Well, well, great. So now I have command, and I've already broken the command because I'm anxious right now. What am I supposed to do? Thanks, John. You've set me up for, for defeat. Okay, well, here's what we need to do. We need to exercise our God-given authority. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 6, it says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. So basically, here's what, I'm, here's what this little bit of scripture is telling us. We live in these physical bodies, but these physical bodies are not the only realm that exists. In fact, these physical bodies are more a recipient of an unseen realm. They're influenced by the spiritual realm, which, in, which is invisible, but it is all around us, and it is very real. And he tells us, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Well, what's a stronghold? Well, let's put this in the the context of a war. So when the United States was was fighting the the Germans in World War II, let's say like there was a specific area where we were trying to, you know, we were moving forward in battle, but we couldn't quite get this one area because maybe it was very hard to defend. Maybe it was at such a place that the location of it made it very uh, vulnerable to attack on all sides. Maybe it was an area that was hard to... um, to resource, to supply, because one of the quickest and easiest ways to defeat your enemy is to cut off their line of supply. So if they don't have a line of supply and if they can't defend it, then it's a very weak area. And that's exactly, and and what happens is the enemy can then come in and they can establish their authority and they basically hold that, that post and that becomes a stronghold of the enemy. So now let's put that in the context of our own lives. So we have an area in our life that is weak. Maybe it's weak because it's an area of temptation for us. 
And maybe it's also weak because we hang around people that provide influences upon us that make it very hard for us to, to avoid that area of weakness and temptation. So what happens is the enemy knows our areas of weakness and he comes in and he says, you know what, I'm going to establish my stronghold in this area of your life because I know I can overthrow you. Because I know that given a certain circumstance, and let's be honest, that sometimes we're stronger depending on our frame of mind. You know, sometimes you just wake up and you're like, man, I'm ready for this. Bring it on. And other days you're like, man, you could just blow on me and I would fall right over. And so that's the enemy knows that we're very inconsistent in that place. And that's why when we rely upon a divine power, when we wage the spiritual warfare, then it's no longer us that's doing battle, but it's God that's doing battle for us. I want to share an area of weakness that I've had, um, and, it's, and it has to do with regret. I, I made some decisions about some jobs within the last 10 to 12 years that I had a little bit of regret over. And although I'm not dealing with them now, I, I'm in a good job now, and I'm, I'm, I'm in a good place, every once in a while I would wake up with just those thoughts right in the front of my face. And it's really weird because I hadn't even been thinking about them during the day. But your mind is a very weird kind of a playground um, all kinds of things come in. Your, your, um, your actual free will is suspended. And so it's like, okay, well, let's just take this stuff that was kind of, you know, rolling around in the back of the drawer and let's just throw it there on the table and let's examine it. And sometimes I would wake up and these regrets with the emotion were so heavy and they were weighing on me and my mind would just begin to spin and I would just feel defeated and such a failure. At those times, I would do exactly as this scripture said. I would, um, we would destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So I knew that in obeying Christ, me feeling defeated is not me walking in obedience to Christ. But what I would do is I, I would pray a prayer. I would simply say, God, I'm having these thoughts are coming against me. I'm being attacked. I give them over to you. Give me the joy of sweet sleep that you have promised me in your word and allow my mind to be guarded in Christ Jesus. In your mighty name, I would pray. Amen. I would simply speak a prayer like that. I'm taking authority in the spiritual realm with the weapons of the warfare that I've been given in order for me to walk in victory and to have that victory that God has, has given to me. So the first thing that we need to do if you're dealing with anxiety right now is use the God-given authority that you have through the word of God. Now, the second thing that we can do, as it says here in Luke 12, 31, he says, now instead of being anxious, he says, instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. And in Matthew six thirty three, he says something similar. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Now, this is a this is kind of a recipe. And a lot of times in, in the Bible, you know, Jesus didn't do the same things the same way all the time. Like if when he healed the blind people, sometimes he would spit on the ground, take the mud, put it in their eyes, and then they would be healed. Well, he didn't do that the same all the time. Otherwise, we would have faith preachers out there spitting on the, on the ground all the time and rubbing mud in, in blind people's eyes. It, no, it's, it's about faith and it's about, you know, believing that, that God has the ability to heal. And so... But this is a recipe. He's saying, seek first my kingdom and all of these things will be added unto you. What are all of these things? 
All of those things that we're anxious about because we have a need and that need is yet unmet. So the recipe is, is to seek him first. Seek his kingdom first. And we're going to see the reason for that is because in seeking his kingdom first, we're going to then find ourselves in the right frame of mind to receive of what he has for us. And let me give you an example of that. So in this verse of scripture here in Matthew, he's been talking about the tangible and the felt needs. Now, praise God, we live in a culture, we live in a society that if any one of us found ourselves in a place where we were destitute, well, first and foremost, guess what? Your church family would probably come to your assistant. We have, we have provided, we provide for some nonprofits, we provide for school kids. And if you were ever in a situation, your needs would be met. You, you are blessed in being able to be in a church like that. Beyond that, we live in a culture that we have the county government and the state government. My wife works for the Human, um, human Services Department, Income Support, and which provides SNAP, the food, the food stamps, and they have um, cash assistance for people that meet a certain income criterion. And a lot of that can be due to the basis of somebody lost their job. They find themselves in a specific you know, situation that they didn't plan for. But guess what? But our taxes are paid so that we can provide for the needs of people that are within that. Well, sometimes when we're destitute and we have a need, sometimes our pride can stand in the way because it's like, well, yeah, I need clothes, but I want secondhand clothes. That's gross. You know, have you ever gone to Goodwill? You know, that's my wife loves Goodwill and a lot of the clothes she gets me are from Goodwill and they're actually pretty cool. And it's amazing how many name brand clothes are given away at Goodwill. Sometimes, you know, they're worn a couple times. So anyway, but, but what I'm saying is, you know, the resources that are available to us maybe are not the kind that we would want to receive. If you've ever been to a food pantry, the selection isn't great. Sometimes it's the generic food. But God is saying, if you will seek me first, guess what? Your needs will be met and you'll, your heart will be in such a place that you'll be open enough to receive of the provision that is available to you. So what does it mean and how do I seek God's kingdom and his righteousness? Well, the first way that we do that is through his word. Now, if you ever want, okay, I'm going to give you guys a little secret to any sermon that you're ever going to hear. Okay, there's two things that you should always hear in any good sermon. They should always direct you to the word of God and they should always direct you to prayer. And you're going to see that in this sermon here today. So the first way that we seek God's kingdom is through his word. And we just did that when we read 2 Corinthians. We learned how to exercise the authority of God. So we read it, we study it, we meditate it, we memorize it, we recall it, we stand on it, and we pray it. And the second thing is in Matthew 5, 3, and I think this is really interesting. Um, this is the section in the, in the Gospels where it's the Beatitudes, which is basically the blessed are you. And in Matthew 5, 3, it says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. So here we have this, seek first the kingdom of God. And now we realize that if you are poor in spirit, guess what? Yours is the kingdom of God. So what does it mean to be poor in spirit? To be poor in spirit means that we have a constant awareness of our need for God. We basically embrace our utter dependence upon him. And it's from this place that we will actually begin to establish a humble heart before God. 1 Peter 5, 6-7 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all of your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. 
So being poor in spirit basically is that place where, and, and a lot of times we're forced to go there by our circumstances. You know, like you've heard people say, it's like, man, it, it can't get any worse than this. I'm on my back. I'm looking up. The only thing I can see. But the real key is to learn to be there before circumstances dictate that you have no other options. When we can learn to live in utter dependence upon God. And one of the, one of the easiest things that the enemy has as a strategy against us is self-reliance. Okay, I, I, I have a comfortable living now. Um, I don't really have to worry about where my food or my clothing or comes, comes from. I don't have to worry about rent. And so guess what? It gets a little bit easier not to have to think about God on a daily basis. But, you know, as they say, most Americans live one or two paychecks away from maybe not being able to make a house payment, maybe not being able to provide for their families. And so it's very easy for us to get into those situations. Um, You look at these, uh, you look at, like, I look at, like, um, the Motor City in, in Michigan, how if you look, like, back at the 60s and the 70s, that was the place to live. To have, to be a union worker, an auto worker up there was great. And then within a matter of two decades, everything went away. And now there's basically square miles of neighborhoods that are completely abandoned now because there's, in fact, there are some areas in Detroit where if you call the police, it can be up to two to three hours before they'll even respond because they just do not have the resources in order to provide for the civic um, for the civic needs of their people there. And so don't get too comfortable where we are because circumstances can change. And I'm not, and I'm not here to, to preach a, a doom and gloom message. I'm just here to preach a reality message that it's so much better for us to fortify our stronghold in Christ right now, to build up our reliance upon Christ, to make that as a lifestyle so that then when those hard times comes, guess what? You're already living the life that you're now trying to re-gear to live during these difficult times. And so I think that's one of the biggest lessons that we can learn is don't wait for those dire circumstances to come to make the change. Make the change now while you have the luxury to do so, because now you can begin to fortify your heart. You can begin to be in the word. You'll know exactly where your resource is when that day of need comes. The next thing that we can do in order to seek first the kingdom is one, pray about it. Pray about what worries us. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says, Do not be anxious. There's that command again. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And once again, when we're seeking God, that's about the only place that we can be where we can give thanksgiving. Because when you're in a need... And, and sometimes it's easy to blame God. It's like, God, why did you allow this to happen to me? The last thing that, that comes as a natural response is to thank God. It's like, oh, God, thank you for this horrible sickness that I'm dealing with. Thank you for this life tragedy or family horrendous thing that's happened to me. That's not our first response. But God is saying, when you seek me first, if you're in that poor in spirit place, guess what? Your heart's already ready to thank God, to say, God, thank you for the situation that I'm in. I'm not, thank you. I'm not thankful for all the, the harshness of it, but thank you that you're going to provide for me in the midst of this situation. Thank you for putting me in a place where I get to see you work and you get to move on my behalf. Because 
honestly, guys, we live in such a, a self-reliant and we're, most of our needs are met. It's we don't see God's hand move in these dramatic ways that you hear about in some of these other third world countries. Because guess what? They have no other provision but God. If they don't trust in God, guess what? They may not have water for the day. They, might, they may not have food for the day. They might have a, some you know, terrorist clan a- attack them. And so we, we live in this little bubble almost of, of shelter. And so when we will learn to thank God right where we are for every little thing, it will also cultivate a heart of, think, of thanksgiving and also a, a heart of worship so that we will be able to see God moving all around us. Now, I want to, in going on in verse 7 of Philippians 4, he says, If we will not be anxious, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, now he's going to do a great exchange. Now, there's a lot of great exchanges in the Bible. The first one, of course, is the fact that we can give our yucky sinfulness to Christ, and he will give us his robes of righteousness. And the the second one is represented here, where we can give all of our anxieties and all of our worries and all of our concerns. And he says, and in doing so, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And we're like, well, how does that happen? He says, you're not supposed to be able to comprehend it. It's supposed to be, it goes beyond what you can even understand. He says, I'm going to give you a peace. It's not just this little momentary peace, but it's a peace that guards your minds. It guards your hearts so that when the enemy comes against you to attack you in your areas of vulnerability, in your areas of weakness, he's not going to be able to penetrate your heart. And he's not going to be able to penetrate your mind, causing your mind to just spin on these things that you can't quite control. And he says, and you're ability to even understand how this works, you don't even have to worry about that because this peace will surpass all understanding. Now, the next way that we can take inventory is uh, is the next way that we can seek first God's kingdom is to take inventory of the treasures stored in your heart. Matthew 621 says this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And this is an interesting sentence. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He doesn't say where your heart is, your treasure will be. He says, look at where your treasure is. And this is a a good way to see what's really important to you. And um, it's like, uh, what do you spend the majority of your time on? And, you know, a lot of people say, just look at your browser history. That, that, will, that will tell you where you spend a lot of your time. Because, you know, you, you go to a restaurant and, and everybody today, they're on their phone. Even when they're sitting across from people they could be talking to, they're, they're on your phone. It's like, what are you guys texting each other? You, you just talk to each other. Um, so where, where our treasure is, that's, uh, that's a real representation of where our heart is. Earlier on in verse 19 of Matthew 6, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. So basically he's saying, just be careful of the things that you collect. 
And I went through a process probably three or four years ago where I basically tried to di digitize my life. I had a bunch of photos, and I scanned all my photos, and I had a bunch of DVDs, and I burned all my DVDs to digital copies. And so now most of my life is in the cloud. But guess what? That's not even that secure. When our own government gets hacked, when some of the major <laughs> credit agencies get hacked, it's like nothing is safe. You know, thieves are out there to steal. So he's saying, be careful of where your stuff is. Because there's a, there's a real statement that, that Sheila and Jose will, will definitely understand. The more stuff we have, the more what? Our stuff has us. That's right. Stuff becomes a point of concern. We worry about it, and it can sometimes even become a point of idolatry. When we get something new, guess what? We want to we wanna take care of it. I just got a new phone, and so I bought the extended plan in case I'm dumb and I drop it in the toilet or I run over it. I have a way of, of making sure that I can return it to its, its uh, factory, you know, condition and so you know we when we how many of you when you go into the go into a store you lock your car anybody yeah why do you do that because you don't want people going through your stuff you know I, I always wonder that about convertibles it's like it's almost like this this honor system it's like everything's right there they could just kind of reach in but anyway that's a different topic um, so we just need to make sure that when it comes to our stuff we keep God first in our hearts and when we do that, we allow everything else to fall into perfect order. Now, the last thing that I'd like to share is that we can seek God's kingdom first when we examine our expectations. We can sometimes become too destination-oriented. In fact, we just talked about this at our Bible study on Friday. In fact, I, I leaned over and told my wife, I said, I think my sermon is taking a bit of a turn. But this is a really good turn because I think that if you don't deal with anxiety, I think this might be a point of which we can all relate to. We are all probably very destination-minded. Now, when the children of Israel were um, under, when they were in slavery in Egypt, Moses came in and he delivered them from their bondage. And they had an 11 day journey to the promised land. It was less than two weeks and they were going to go right where God had promised them to a land that they were going to settle. It was a land that, that scripture says was filled with milk and honey. It was, it was this very fertile place. But this 11 day journey turned into a 40 year expedition. And, is, and it's all because they were grumbling and they had sinned in a few ways. And we all look at that and we're like, man, they were so close. You could have been there in 11 days and it took you 40 years. We, we all look at that and we're like, oh, man. But in reference to God, that was not a mistake. Because God's presence was with them the entire time. If you read, it says that the cloud was there by day and the fire was there by night. And whenever the cloud moved or the fire moved, they followed. And God provided for their physical needs. He provided manna for them. And in fact, it says that the manna, the bread of heaven, didn't even cease until they had their first meal in the promised land. And so even though we look at it from the outside going, man, they missed their destination. God's plan was never interrupted during that entire journey because his presence was there with him. And so this is why I say we need to examine our expectations because we all have expectations and we pin a lot of our hopes and our joys and our happiness on 
the, the meeting of these expectations. So maybe you're single and you want a significant person in your life. Maybe you're in a, in a current job and you want a different job. Maybe you're renting and you want to buy a house. Maybe you're driving an old clunker and you want a brand new something or other. We set these all as goals and expectations. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't do that. But I'm saying that we should do that in such a way that we maintain the presence of God in our life. Because he says in his word that godliness with contentment is of great gain. It's when we allow our goals and the things that we strive after to become such an idol that God becomes this this distant little side memory. God is saying, regardless of where you are on your goal and on your journey, make sure that my presence is there with you. Because once again, what what does he tell us? He says, don't worry about tomorrow. Today has enough worries of its own. And so let's not be anxious about the things that we can't control. Let's try to harness and embrace what God can do in and through our lives this day. So I'm going to have the worship team come back up as we go ahead and and close. And also have Juliet come up. One of the things that I want to make sure that we do today is give an opportunity for you. If you're struggling with a certain anxiety or a worry, something that you've not been able to overcome, I want you to come and get prayer. I'll also be up here and available for prayer. There's nothing worse than being given a command, than being given uh, some sort of an examination on something, but not being given an opportunity to resolve that. So let's conduct some kingdom business today. And if you're not comfortable coming up, then then pray with someone there in your seats and they will agree with you. They will help you to exercise the God-given authority that you have to break those strongholds, whatever it is that you might be struggling with. And so as I pray, um, let's go ahead and just have the worship. You guys can go ahead and play. Lord God, I just thank you so much for this opportunity that we have to be obedient and not be anxious, to not worry, to not be concerned. Lord God, we thank you that we can seek you first. We can be in your word. We can pray. Lord, help us to to come to that place of humility where we can acknowledge you and and just say, Lord God, I'm so dependent upon you. It's not going to happen unless you move in my life. Lord Jesus, We just thank you so much, and I pray that as as folks come to get prayer, that they would have those strongholds in their lives broken. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. The one last thing that I wanted to share is that this sermon is entitled, Do Not Be Anxious, But Be Available. One of the best ways for you to get over yourself is to allow yourself to be used by God. Last week, I had an opportunity to go to Boston, and um, it was just a little vacation. Didn't have any real big events planned. I went and saw a couple of colleges, MIT and Harvard, and went on a little boat tour and went and saw a comedy show. And so I had some pretty loose plans and, and actually prayed a prayer on my first day that I was there. I said, God, just use me in a way that you would have me today. I, you know, and, it's, and, and I have to admit, it's a shame that I pray that prayer only when I'm on vacation. We should be praying that prayer all the time. But little steps, baby steps. So I prayed that prayer. And um, I stayed at a hotel that uh, wasn't close to a subway station, but it had a free shuttle to the airport where there is a subway station. 
And so I was um, on my way back from the subway station waiting for the, the hotel shuttle to come pick me up. And these two elderly ladies, I, I walked past them and I heard them say, I don't know where to find the Doubletree shuttle. And I went over to them and I said, are you guys waiting for the Doubletree Chelsea shuttle? And they're like, yeah, we are. I said, I just called them, just come over to this curb and then they'll pick you up. So then a couple of minutes, they picked us up. And when we were driving back, this lady said, are you sure you're not an angel? <laughs> and, and they were such a cute little couple. One lady had been a widow for eight years. The other lady had just become a widow. And so they were on a little vacation together. And it was really cool being able to be used in that way. Well, then the very next day, I'm on the shuttle going to the airport again to get to the subway. And there's a guy from the south. And uh, we strike up a conversation. I said, well, what are you doing today? He says, well, I'm going on a bus tour of the city. He goes, and I'm going to take the subway. He goes, but I've never even been on the subway before. So I said, okay, well, just stick with me and I'll show you. And so we got to the subway station, showed him how to buy his, his subway ticket. And then I said, and go to this track over here. So then I, I got on my train and I got off on my, on my destination. And then running up behind me on the escalator was this guy. He said, hey, I found it. He was all excited. Thank you so much for your help. It was, it was a small little thing. But being available, God can bless others and you will be blessed in the process. And guess what? Your worries will be the last thing that you're thinking about. Those things that you were anxious about will be far, far from you. All right. So I want to end. I want to give this one more try, guys. Let me try this joke. Okay. So God is talking to one of his angels and he says, do you not know what I have just done? I have just created a 24-hour period of alternating light and darkness on earth. Isn't that amazing? And the angel says, man, that is really cool. He goes, so what are you going to do now? He goes, I think I'll call it a day. I promised it would be a bad joke. We'll go ahead and worship. You guys come up and get prayer. We hope you've enjoyed this inspirational message. Please email questions, comments, and booking information for John to mail at johnlongwell.com. To see the full range of creative works, including books, inspirational messages, music, art, and web development content, please log on to www.johnlongwell.com. Thank you for listening, and may God's blessings be yours in abundance.